The Athletic. Welcome to Pot on the Tyne. My name is Taylor Payne. Coming up on this week's show. Surreal Sunday, raucous atmosphere stifled by serious medical incident and some substandard association football. New ownership, same old problems. How do we plug the leaks at the back? And Steve Bruce's future still up in the air. Our mailbox has just one thing on their mind. Yes, hello and welcome once again. This is Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. And it's absolutely lovely to be back in your ears once again. And as always, I'm joined by Newcastle United correspondent Chris Woff and our senior writer, George Culkin. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, George. How are you? Hello. Yes, I'm, um, I'm all right. Thank you. I was up, I was up very late um, trying to make sense of what it was we saw on, um, on Sunday, but um, I'm still not sure I've managed. But, um, but yeah, I'm all, I'm all right. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's been a, a very busy weekend, but a, a, a good one altogether. Chris, how's it going? How are you doing, mate? You all right? Yeah, similar to, to you both. I'm still trying to compute exactly what happened yesterday. So many different uh, emotions, feelings, all that sort of thing. But in terms of uh, Newcastle United, I have that similar feeling of trepidation in terms of going forward on the pitch. So, so yes, yeah, <laughs> a, a mixture of all those things. Absolutely. Uh, we got anything interesting in the pipeline, chaps? I'd imagine there's lots of, lots of furious scribbling going on at the minute, George. Oh God, he sounds like my boss. It's like literally, I was up until three o'clock in the morning writing this one. You're immediately asking me what comes next. Can I like, can I like take a break? Can I just take a break for a few hours? Have a week off, George. Have a week off. Well, I was supposed to be off last week. That didn't happen. No. I mean, we've got. Um, we do have some things in the pipeline. A lot of it is going to be dependent on um, what happens this week. And it's sort of, yeah, it's difficult to kind of predict what we're going to be doing mm. immediately because we need to see which way which way the club turns from this point. But, um, yeah, it, I mean, it's the last the last 10 days, are arguably the busiest I've ever been. I can't see that changing in the near future. And I'm sure Chris will say something similar. Yes, so from the game last night, I did. I had to actually focus on the football, which I think we've all forgotten about a little bit over the last few months. Bastard, I know, Chris. I know. <laughs> you focus uh, on the what? This is, the what? This is, I, I got, I got the <laughs> the crap end of the stick, I think, in terms of that one. So, mm. and uh, and so that is on. As on the athletic at the moment, sort of basically looking at Steve Bruce and explaining that his position has felt untenable quite a few times previously. Um, but if it was a if it was a matter of of, of when, not if he was going to go previously, I think it's it's looking even more increasingly likely that he will be going at some point because yesterday was so much of a of a shambles defensively once again. Yes, and I, I should have said what the thing I was writing was. I I I have the slightly. Um... Well, I'm not sure it was easier actually, because in the end it turned out to be to be very confusing and quite difficult to do. But my, I, I was sort of in with um, in with the stands. I was supposed to be off this week, and uh, I'd got myself a ticket anyway before it sold out, which was kind of quite lucky. And um, I was uh, well, Chris and I both got to the stadium very very early on Sunday and milled about and. Um, I'm sure we'll come and talk yes. come on to talk about that, and then um, yeah, reported sort of that, and and then what I kind of felt and saw and heard as the game as the game went on. Fantastic stuff. Well, if you want to enjoy all of that lovely content from the very best football writers around, then get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod for a 33% discount. That's a third off a new subscription at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod. Come on, you Maggies. Right, chaps, we'll get into the football side of things in a little bit, unfortunately. But let's start with yesterday as an occasion. It was a mad, emotional, frustrating, incredible, life-affirming, kick-in-the-pants kind of topsy-turvy event, wasn't it, George? Yes, it really was. I mean, yeah, I mean, the football side of it turned out to be pretty pretty familiar by the end. Um, but 
I mean, I suppose the first thing to say is that the the two or three hours before kickoff were absolutely extraordinary, mm. and the first two or three minutes of the match were absolutely extraordinary, and you saw glimpses there. Um, you know, strip everything else away if we can for a moment. You saw glimpses of what you want the club to feel like yeah, and sound like and, and look like. And I've never seen... I mean, perhaps if you'd never been to a Newcastle game before and you'd, you'd arrived, um, you'd, you'd arrived at the stadium two hours before kickoff, you'd have thought maybe it's like this every every time. But it was yeah. it was astonishing. It was full. It was full. You know, the whole air, the, the nine bar was full. The food bank, when the food bank usually opens, it's... Um, it's about two hours before kickoff, and you know they're the they're the first people there. They were almost the last people there yesterday, and you just saw people wanting to be there. You saw, I mean, sort of insane crowds inside the club shop. Yeah, people queuing up to buy the program. I mean, sort of ten, fifteen, twenty people queuing up to buy. I haven't the seen it for years. I've not seen that. You know, no, haven't seen that for years. It's people recognizing that it's an occasion, and there was a lot of very happy happy people and um you i mean and that was you know i think i think with as with everything around newcastle now the bit we have to get used to it you know there's also some bits that jar and there's some i mean i'll give one little example there were there were three vans and i've written about this in this in this piece there were three vans doing circuits of the of the uh sort of of, of barrack road and the ground one the first one was um, an advertising for a famous betting company who enjoy doing um, sort of ambush marketing, that kind of thing. And um, <clears throat> there was a, and they'd also sort of left a big inflatable Sports Direct mug um, uh, sort of around the stadium as well. And it said goodbye mug and things like that. So that was the first van. Yeah. The second van was advertising Sam, Sam Fender's new album. And it was a picture of him on breakfast television the day after the. <laughs> takeover was announced when he had that incredible hangover yeah. he talked about that and then the third one was something you know was something very very different and difficult yeah. and it was a reference to Khashoggi and the murder of Khashoggi and you know how do you you know how do you sort of bring all those things together in your head so there was a lot of you know there was a lot of those sort of conf- conflicting things but I mean the mood, you know, the mood was was sort of extraordinary, and it carried through, it carried through into the match and before the match inside the stadium, yeah. and we saw the flags. Oh, that that again. was superb, George, wasn't it? That 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 flag display again. They've hit the note every time, haven't they, with those? And that was yeah, another wonderful yeah, example of it. They're great, you know. They they they're great people, and they've you know they've they've really tapped into something, um, and you know you know the people sort of who want and have dedicated a lot of their time to sort of trying to improve the atmosphere around the stadium. I mean, they didn't need, they didn't need to be there to do that yesterday. Cause I think it would have had its own um, atmosphere, but yeah, no, I mean, just, 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 just great. And then, yeah, I mean, the first two minutes, it, it was, ast- the noise level <laughs> yeah. was astonishing. It was absolutely astonishing. And in those moments, I do think you saw a glimpse of the club that, you know, that we all think of when we think of Newcastle and, you know the club that they could still be in the right circumstances. Uh, it, it it fell away, it fell away quite dramatically. It did, but 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 those mo- you know the 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 two or three hours before kickoff was just phenomenal. It was it was fantastic, and you know you we do still talk in terms of sort of cliche about Newcastle that you can feel a buzz sometimes, but it was buzzing. You know the city was buzzing. And, um, you know, that's very special. It was very, very special. And, I mean, that that first, like you say, that first five minutes, it, it almost felt inevitable, didn't it, Chris, that Newcastle would score that goal and that the, the, the roof would come off the place. Uh, pictures of the owners in the stands hugging and jumping around and stuff, Ant and Deck there, and uh, some Royals in the box as well. Uh, just amazing scenes, Chris. Yeah, and, and as you say, that did translate onto the pitch. And it's hard to sort of describe... What unless you feel it, unless you sit there and are in the ground, it's hard to sort of describe that intensity that you get, which you you wouldn't get in a normal moment in time with that. Because for those first, I'd say it was almost up to the first ten minutes. Spurs yeah. looked shell shocked, and Newcastle <coughs> were quicker yeah. to everything. Yeah. The the 
the intensity that they had, the ability they had to just pour bodies forward. The front six essentially were all just going forward together. They were closing Spurs down. Spurs looked like they were hemmed in. And that first goal, it was just it was it was it, it, it was basically Newcastle's first attack, and Spurs were nowhere near them, and it and didn't really get yeah. to grips with the game for about ten minutes. And perhaps, perhaps in those moments, actually Newcastle expended too much energy, too much emotional energy it was too much too went much, into yeah. it. Yeah. it. It's easy to say that in hindsight because at the time you thought they're going to steamroll they're just going to go through Spurs just didn't have an answer but once the game settled down and once that sort of energy ebbed away a little bit the crowd stuck with with the team but they were never going to be able to keep the same sort of intense emotional environment so that then then it went away from those first 10 minutes it was just it was extraordinary it's ridiculous what that kind what kind of impetus that sort of feeling and that emotion can give a football team isn't it and you think god if we could bottle that if we could have that every single week we'd be unstoppable but like you say it was like a massive release and then there was just a come down afterwards wasn't there I mean I have to be honest I I, I didn't get to go yesterday and it, I'm absolutely gutted that I wasn't there because I really really wanted to go and experience that atmosphere but I was working I already had uh, work booked in and for those of you who don't know I'm a, a musician amateur in brackets uh, and uh, I was doing a gig in deepest darkest county Durham and we started our gig bang on the kickoff time of the game. So right on 4.30 was when we started our first song of the gig. And as we finished the first song, this little bloke who I can only presume was a Sunderland fan shuffled past us and stopped in front of my mic stand and said, yeah, fucking football team's winning. And then shuffled off to the gents' <laughs> toilets. And I thought, all oh, right, okay, something's gone incredibly right here. But it was just a really bizarre, weird moment. I wish I had been there with all of my heart. I'm gutted that I missed it. But wow, what a what an incredible moment! Yeah, it it was it was that sort of just extraordinary noise. It was so noisy inside the stadium that you could shout at the top of your voice and you wouldn't have heard yourself shouting because everybody else <laughs> shouting was so loud. Yeah, and and so the kind of thing, and it does. I mean, it it sort of stirs the blood, but it also it's like there's no, there's no room in your head for anything else apart from noise because there's no room there's no room for a thought. Because it's all you can hear, and you can see, you could see, as Chris says, you could see the players being carried by it. Yeah. And you know, you have to have to remember that. Okay, fine. You know, some of them, some of them were around in the championship winning season when Newcastle won most weeks, and um, some were around for the Spurs game when Newcastle went down and won, and that was an amazing atmosphere. But the 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 whole thing around it. Um, you know, the couple of hours beforehand and that 10 minutes, they've not seen that before and they've not heard that before. And, and you know, the, the thing though, and it's the same it's same for the crowd, it's the same for the players, same for the crowd, it is actually tiring to expend that much emotional energy. Yeah. So, I mean, it, <laughs> the players couldn't keep, you know, couldn't keep it going. And, you know, again, we'll come on to some of the background to that. Um the players couldn't keep it going, and and once that sort of faded, I don't think fans. I looked around after twenty minutes, and people just looked knackered. Yeah. You know, people in the stand looked knackered, yeah. and I know that sounds weird, but for so long, I think people have gone to the stadium, and there's been that acceptance that things will be shit, and so you sit back and you wait for it to be shit. And I don't blame anybody when you actually, when you're actually shouting, and when you're actually part of it, and you're connected to it, you're sort of concentrating. And it's really tiring to concentrate and have that sort of energy flowing through you. And it was like, it sort of took everybody. And there were other, you know, far more serious reasons why Yeah. kind of energy fl- flowed away. But when one, for those moments when it was there, it was, it was honestly, it was astonishing. It's the kind of stuff you will remember forever. Absolutely. And like you alluded to there, George, I mean, the, the atmosphere had already dumped off a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. When a fan uh, in, the East, in the East Stand was taken seriously ill. Uh, and we have to pay tribute to those people who, who got to that fan and who helped him, including the, uh, the Spurs players on the pitch and the officials and uh, the club doctor and stuff like that, the people who got there, the, the guy who ran across the pitch with the defibrillator to help this, to help this person in the stand. And yeah. incredible Paul scenes in the yeah. games. The game Great stopped for, for, for 20 minutes, you know. Um, just unbelievable. I mean, you know, we forget there's still a very human... Uh, element to this, of course, it's football and it's entertainment. But then you see something like that happen, and it snaps you back into the reality of the world, doesn't it? Very quickly. 
It does, and it was it. It was strange because, as we're saying, there was already so many sort of emotions, mixed emotions, in various different ways as to what was happening. So much uh, energy being expended, and then all of a sudden, when the game at that point, the game was going away from Newcastle already, and it felt like it was on a tenement, and then all of a sudden, the football was just completely irrelevant because it, the, the, I mean, I was sat in the press box. It was, it was in the opposite stand to the east stand, and. I see. I saw a few of the players sort of turn to the east stand, and there's loads of fans standing up and shouting at them. And, I, and at first, it was it was hard to know what was going on. I didn't know whether they yeah. had an issue with what had gone on with the pitch. And then all of a sudden, you realise the players realised very quickly. The official realised very quickly. Andre Mariner in the middle, and they, they ran across uh, to the dugout. You had Eric Dyer was very prominent in that. Same with Jamal Lascelles. Steve Bruce was also prominent, saying that they need a they need a defibrillator across there. There was actually a defibrillator already in the east stand. It turned out afterwards but also right. Paul Catterson went across with another one and then it was obviously uh, Reguignon who, who would uh, the, the Spurs left back who had, had alerted mm. the referee to the situation but but all of the people involved in that I mean the, the fans and the doctors who were, who were in the crowd uh, we've already seen some uh, of, of that this morning from them I'm hopefully going to speak to, to another doctor who, who was involved in the, uh, the in the saving of, 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 the, of the fan yesterday this this after, later this afternoon because those quick actions of all those supporters in the round there was, there was people providing CPR there was others getting attention from stewards yeah. he received medical attention both in the stairwell and then by the side of the pitch before he was eventually taking the RVI so it was just it was amazing to see people working like that because my my mind was frazzled so never mind people who were involved in that and for the players yeah, to have yeah. then continued Absolutely. afterwards as well when all that's gone on it was it, no it was it was amazing to see them all work like that it it was horrible from from where I was, um, I was sort of sort of diagonally you know diagonally across from it. So uh, to start with, I just had no idea what was happening. I could see sort of see stewards bunching together, and I, I suppose I must have thought, you know probably thought at the first time there was a scuffle or something that was a Spurs fan in there, and then it kind of it's slowly dawning on you that there's something else. And I had no, I had no phone reception. It was so busy. I had no phone reception. Obviously couldn't uh, didn't have wi-fi and things so i couldn't i couldn't kind of get to chris and i couldn't i couldn't sort of find out what was going on it was it felt like a very very long 25 minutes and you know it was it was really it was really harrowing i mean i can only do the same thing as chris and sort of really pay tribute to uh to the you know to the people who sort of responded so quickly from the fans and and you know docks in the pitch and, and Paul Carlson and the players and stuff and just be feel very very thankful that things seem to seem to be okay and hope that hope that continues I, you know I will say something though it's you know football is is kind of make believe isn't it and and <clears throat> you know it's it is important to us and you have that sense of kind of importance and meaning and you know there are there have been some sort of very big conversations being had around um around Newcastle sort of in the past couple of years um it's what I I mean the 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 sort of you know the the adrenaline had gone by that point already so and so this certainly isn't I'm not I'm not trying to make an excuse because there isn't one but the the adrenaline was never going to come back from that point because I think you then have that sort of realization that actually, yeah, this is make you know this isn't really important and so, you know, having had all this noise and having had this sort of vibrancy and volume and you're all persuading yourself that this is the only, you know when the goal goes in this is the just the only thing that matters the only thing that can fit in your head something like that happens and you realize okay well, you know there are there are kind of more important things and so you know from that point it was from that point it was it was it was it was never going to kind of come come back but anyway yeah the bigger picture is thank thank god it looks like he's okay yeah the reports are that the, that the fan who took ill is is uh responsive and and stable uh in hospital so that's that's great news and absolutely a testament to all those people who got involved uh and helped out uh right we're going to have a little break and we'll be back in just a tick. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Right then, chaps, we should probably talk about the football then, eh? I know it's not exactly what we want to do, because it was awful. But <sighs> we did mention that dream start earlier on, Chris, and it was pretty nice football, wasn't it? Um, Mankio and Sir Maximin combining down the right to put the ball on a plate for Callum Wilson and nod home in Shearer-esque fashion. Yes, and that we saw the how that partnership can work very well down the right in terms of an attacking sense there, and then we'll get on to it a bit. How the Spurs goal, the first goal, <laughs> really showed how where Ansan Maximan, if he's played out on the wing, there are some issues there in terms of defensively. But the, the, that, that intensity we were talking about before, and, and Newcastle pushing those bodies forward, players were getting forward in those first few minutes, and there were, every single tackle, it was it was just that Isaac Hayden did one of his trademark sliding tackles. Sean Longstaff yeah. was just running forward and trying to push into <laughs> And it was just yeah. over and over again. You just hit the crowd to respond to it. Every time Sam Maximan got the ball, it was like a, you could just hear the sort of the noise just rose again. But that that move, yeah. So Sam Maximan's on the right hand side of the box. Mankio overlaps. He gives them the ball. And then Mankio puts in a, a, a lovely cross. And and it's almost it was almost a carbon copy of the goal that uh, that was scored against West Ham early in the season by was, uh, by yeah. Callum Wilson. I mean, there were a lot of similarities yeah. with that game in, in many ways because that was also uh, quite early on. So it was it was it was very similar to that. And suddenly. It, for the for the five minutes after that, Newcastle rode that wave as well, and and it looked. We thought, wow, actually, you know, they they have they have really yeah. fed off this, but yeah, unfortunately, then reality sort of bit. God, that noise, George, when that ball went in, the noise, oh, it was just it, astonishing. It was astonishing. Yeah, just 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 brilliant. I spoke to someone in and around the dressing room, who said it was like something out of a film. Yeah. You know, and so that's how it. I mean, and that it was that it was just something magical. It sort of didn't feel real, and it was. It was that sense of surrealism um, when the goal went in because it's like oh, this. Do, you know, this doesn't happen. None of this happens at Newcastle. It doesn't happen, and it was. You know, I sort of said it was like the, the team played like noise. You know, <laughs> so you have all yeah. this noise, and the team played like noise. Yeah. You know, that's what it was, and it was that thing where everything is in sort of harmony, you know, which is what a club and a team should be about. And at Newcastle, you get that reminder that, um, and obviously we, we got we got more of the other stuff a bit later on, but when it's, when it's everybody on the same page pushing for the same thing, it is in, so incredibly powerful. And for much of the time, you know, fans have been watching the team under sufferance. They've been listening to the manager under sufferance. Same thing about the owner. Fans have been having a go at each other, and it's it's the opposite of what you know what a club is supposed to be about, which is drawing you together. At Newcastle, everybody has been pushed apart, and in for those you know for those ten minutes and for that goal, it was everybody is doing the same thing for once. You know, for once, everybody wants the same thing and is pushing for the same thing. Um, and it it was you know it was magical and it was a brilliant goal. I loved that goal. Um, yeah, but sadly, however, <laughs> dear listener, inevitably um, it didn't. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did come. It did come crashing down. Well, like we said, Chris, the adrenaline wears off, and and when you play with that intensity for for twenty minutes, you almost punch yourself out, don't you? And and, and Newcastle. It was almost, yeah, Spurs were shell-shocked, but I think after that first 20 minutes, I think Newcastle seemed a bit shocked as well because I think they, they just sort of deflated uh, and Spurs changed the way they played and they were trying to play through the middle as much as they could and they switched and started knocking balls, diagonals over the top and into the, the channels and beyond the full-backs and stuff and then uh, the goal came from Ndombele and, and, and you know, the, he, he had the freedom of the Gallagher end, didn't he? He had nobody within 15 yards of him. To be fair, that was like most of the game. I mean, I'd commented a few just a few minutes before it on, on social media in terms of that Spurs were starting to gradually go back in the game, and it basically came through end on belly, sorry, and that was because there was such a big gap between the defence and midfield, other than Isaac Hayden yeah. being in there, and then there was it. It just all seemed disconnected. The lack lack of structure was shown, and and nobody picked up end on belly, and he'd, he'd had a, f a couple of times where he got in around the box already, but then as we're saying, the opposite of Sam Maximan sort of being on on the wing, the issue is defensively and he just did not follow Regani on at all. Then Mankio didn't know whether to come or go. Eventually 
he's he's eventually goes to reckon the other so much space the ball comes in to end on belly and he's got ages on the edge of the box there's no midfielder near him jamal lascelles doesn't really come out to him very quickly and so he just curls the ball into the corner and suddenly you just as you say it did it did feel like that just became deflated that the mood just changed instantly and spurs suddenly yeah. seemed buoyed by that and it was it was newcastle then who were on the back foot and, and suddenly the gaps just appeared absolutely everywhere and son was running through lucas moura was 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 <laughs> having the ability to go in and around each side actually Murrah as well the shortest man on the pitch hit the bar with it with a uh, with a header with unmarked a header, yeah. header in the box um, and yeah. then Harry Kane Incredible. inevitably having not scored all season in the league who's he going to score against it would definitely be Newcastle United who'd given that opportunity yeah and it was just a straight ball over the top again wasn't it and 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 Kane broke the offside trap I mean VAR had a look at it but he was he was well on and he was played on by Mankio. Uh, and and it was a nice finish, and suddenly you go, ah, right, yeah, reality, here it is. That's it, and this is the thing that I think we all we all feared really, and you know you can't you can't say this in other in in any other way. You know they've had dreadful preparation last week, and what I mean by that is, you know we we know from speaking to people at the club and around again around the training ground. That most most people have been expecting Steve Bruce to go. I think Steve Bruce expected Steve Bruce to go, and none of that was confirmed. And you know, people people there talking about it festering, about sort of you know authority leaching away. You know what authority there was left leaching away, and that's not that's no way to to prepare a team. And I I'm not saying I've got sim- sympathy for Steve Bruce. I've got, but I do have sympathy. For kind of everybody in that situation, because it's not that is not conducive to winning a game of football on a Saturday. And yes, you can be professional, and yes, you can practice set pieces, and and you know Newcastle should have been better at all those things. But um, you know the the thing is, there should have been a clean break last week, and there wasn't. And they so as a club, they did not give themselves the best opportunity to win that match. And you know again. I know we've got questions about this at the end, so I'll I'll skip the rest of it. But you could see, you know, they looked tired and they looked emotionally spent. And so, you know, you can't ignore that. It was, you know, on the pitch, it was the story that we've just seen time and time and time and time again. The first sign of trouble, things, you know, things just slip away and they can't get it back. But, you know, that, that didn't surprise, that cannot have been a surprise to anybody yesterday. And we, we mentioned the medical incident earlier on and, and the break that that created. And you have to say, Chris, I mean, it's pretty obvious the restart of that was managed a lot better by Spurs than it was by Newcastle. Yes, it was. And I mean, it's it, it's difficult to sort of criticise anyone for that. I felt like the, that was the... It almost felt weird when the, when the football sort of restarted. It was strange actually inside the, the ground because before the before the, the fan had been taken ill was actually removed... The, we'd already had confirmation over the uh, PA system that the game was going to resume, and it was sort of strange at that stage because because we still had, we still didn't know that he, he was okay. You could presume at that stage he was, but we still didn't know exactly what the situation was. And so, um, when yeah, then when it came out, it was it was very very flat. It was very quickly afterwards that that Spurs ghosted through again, and then. Uh, Kane passes across the box and and Son scores and it, it really I mean the second half was a complete non-event the whole the the whole wind had been taken out of Newcastle's sails by that point anyway we'd had the 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 medical emergency which had made the, the football seem irrelevant and and the second half yeah it was just a I know Newcastle eventually scored via a uh, not really sure what Eric Dyer was doing entirely in terms Strike of us finish that one <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> but, but they didn't really threaten I mean they barely had a chance in the second half and every time Spurs went yeah. forward they found gaps and they broke into spaces and then obviously John Joe Shelby came on and got his two yellow cards oh, as well God. Which... Oh. Oh. I mean I was I was convinced it was Sean Longstaff who was the walking red card yesterday but then you know, Shelby comes on and his brain takes a wonder again, as he oh. tends to do in those situations. And I mean, he looked—he looked so far off the pace that all he could do was kick people, and and he got himself the red card that he thoroughly deserved. Yeah, I don't even want to. Don't even want to go there. No. Fair play. <laughs> I don't. I don't blame you. I mean, I, I, I'm not. And I'm not trying to defend Shelby in any in any way, shape, or form. But the, the one thing is that that came because 
repeatedly Newcastle had to commit fouls on the break because there were just gaps everywhere. There was no organisation. And yes, they were chasing yeah. the game. Yes, they were trying to get back in. But it was repeatedly where that happened. There were several times where I think it was Hayden got booked in the middle for having to pull someone back. Isaac Hayden, uh, sorry, uh, Sean Longstaff the same. There were several occasions because it was just, it really, there, there was no there was no structure. There was gaps everywhere on the pitch. And so, and so that's the one defence I'll give. I totally get that, Chris. But the first one, is needless. Oh, it is. He's, a, it is. he's halfway inside the opposition's half, and it's a frustration. It's a frustrated kick. It's petulant. It's petty. He doesn't need to do it. He got himself booked. And then the second one, yes, he's stopping a goal-scoring opportunity. That's fine. I get that. But if you're already on a yellow card, you can't do it because you're gone. The first one is pathetic. I'm sorry, but it is. You can't defend the first one. It's ridiculous. And I'm sorry, George, I know you don't want to talk about this, but that, I have to say I can't... No, I'm happy to... I'm, I can't... I'm happy for you I cannot... To listen. Say, I cannot give him any kind of credit for what he did. I think it was it was absolutely brain dead, the first one. Anyway, let's not argue, Chris. <laughs> you've said you've said what I kind of wanted to say, but I just didn't have the stomach for it really, but yeah. Fair play. Well, in the end, we only lost by a goal, but let's be honest, there was really only... One winner in that game, wasn't there? Uh, and we hope uh, that we can turn things around uh, ahead of the next match. Um, chaps, Steve Bruce had this to say after the game. Unfortunately, Spurs scored too easily in their first attack. Unfortunately, we're picking the ball out the back of the net and we've conceded two really poor goals, in my opinion. And there lies what problem at the moment. We managed to get off to a good start and we've been up in a few games. We haven't been able to defend well enough as a team to give ourselves a chance. And, um, you know, the third goal, you could say, is a really good Tottenham goal. Some nice football, but oh. defensively, we're poor. Really, really poor. And it's unfortunately cost us again today. And until we, until we sort that out, then we're going to have um, and remain big problems. We've tried to change and be a little bit more attacking, if that's the right. Especially when we've got Callum and Allen in the team who can score us a goal and play the way they can. But defensively, as a team, unfortunately, we keep leaking too many goals. I'm, I'm, not, just talking about, I'm not just talking about today. Look, we've scored twice again in the Premier League. The hardest part to score in this division when you're in the bottom half. And the easier part is supposed to be defensively. And uh, unfortunately, we can't get that balance right of being good going forward and being able to um, be good defensively because we've conceded too many times. I understand the frustration and and I understand how they've been for a long, long time. And uh, But at the end of the day, look, we haven't won enough football matches this season. So whether you're myself or whether you're anybody else in this Premier League, if you're not winning or don't win enough, then you have to live with the consequence. Um, it's, I'm disappointed, of course I am, but I understand the frustration. I'm never going to chuck it because it gets a little bit tougher. I've chucked it maybe at times to maybe get a better opportunity in, uh, in the football world, but never going to chuck it when we're up against it and we find ourselves in the bottom three. That's not me. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. What do you... I don't know what... I, don't, I genuinely well, don't know what to say about that. There's some stuff in there and I just think, Steve, man... It's two. It's two years. Two plus years. It's your job to sort this shit out. I'm sick of hearing the same things every single week and nothing being done about it. I can't be the only one who feels like that. No, no. I mean, you know, we t talked about the first, you know the atmosphere before and the atmosphere for the first ten minutes. For eighty minutes, this was very much still Mike Ashley's Newcastle United, and it was still very much Steve Bruce's Newcastle United. You can't get away from that. And you know, hearing him saying. You know, talking about you know, talking about not getting the balance right. Well, this has been this has been the conversation for more than a year now. I mean, probably longer than that. Probably since he, well, it is really since he he actually he got the job. And you know, it is it is time for somebody else to have a go. I mean, I I just don't I don't think sort of anybody can can disagree with that. And as you say, you know, when he says we're not winning enough football matches I would take not winning enough at the minute but it's it's the point is it's not winning at all I mean it isn't winning at all and you know go back further it's, it's seven wins and 38 games and you know I know it's sometimes you know unfair to sort of lump those things together but um you know that's very much how it feels and again 
an opportunity was missed. It was an opportunity. It was a game gone. They, you know, you don't get your first game twice. And um, yeah, it's his job. Newcastle, Newcastle, two or three years ago, the one part of the team that you could rely upon was how they'd be set up, and um, you know the sort of tactical discipline, and um, you you knew that they were going to make it really hard for other teams to score against them, and they. Uh, They've just regressed. They've regressed completely. I mean, for that, that is now the frailty in the team. Um, I mean, there are other frailties, but and it's it as you say, Taylor. It's his job, and it's not work. It hasn't worked, and it's not going to start work. It's not going to start working by some miracle now. Um, you know, it was shambolic, and it's just the, it's the same old. It's the same old stuff, isn't it? It is. So, I mean. It's time, time for a change, way, way beyond time. It is, and a lot of the questions that we've had in from subscribers are, are, are along those lines as well. Uh, we're going to be back in, uh, in just a moment with some of those questions. Right then, the uh, the old mailbag is full to person yet again with uh, questions from subscribers on the real time section of the athletic app. Chris, um, let's let's go to you first. Uh, <laughs> Alex C has asked if he's still here. Why is he still here? <laughs> I assume I assume that uh, we're that, not talking about that, you, Chris. No, <laughs> I, I assume this refers to Steve Bruce. I mean, because we've had that question asked of me many a time before. But in, in terms <laughs> yeah. of yeah, there's, there's no obvious answer to that, is there? Chris, <laughs> no, unfortunately, there's an obvious answer to this question. I think I think um, th- there's a few elements to this. I think first of all, the issue is primarily that the, they don't yet have a succession plan, and that that is the problem. If you get rid of Steve Bruce, where are they going to go next? And I know a lot of people are saying, well, Graham Jones could be in temporary charge, and that seemed to be the idea to begin with. But also, if Bruce goes, the expectation is that his assistants, Steve Agnew and Stephen Clements, would go as well. And so you would have yeah. a, quite, a, quite a slim coaching staff by that stage. You'd have Ben Dawson, who's one of them there, and you'd also have, you could potentially bring Steve Harper back from the academy. But still, there's no there's no real experience there of this situation, and so until there's a succession plan lined up, I think that that is contributing to this. I think it's also as as George and I spoke about last Thursday that this sort of convoluted structure that there is, and the fact that Saudi Arabia's PAF own eighty percent of the club, decisions really have to go, or at least decisions which are going to cost them eight million pounds at least to potentially to get rid of the the head coach. I think that is snarling this up as well, and that basically it's like we're going to pay eight million pounds. But what what is happening next? There isn't then going to be a manager, and I think that is those are primarily the issues with it. It's quite a complex situation. The expectation is still that he will go at some point, but when exactly that is, we're just not sure yet. Leading on from that, we've had a couple of questions from our Canadian uh, listeners. Hello to all of our listeners out in oh, wow. Canada. And yeah, thanks for listening. Off the back of that, Brendan E has said, if Graham Jones isn't named caretaker manager uh, and Newcastle go with a more permanent solution is there any chance that Jones heads out the door behind Bruce he seems like an asset worth holding on to George uh, well yes I mean I suppose that would well hello Brendan and thank you thank you very much for listening over there um, I, 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 it's difficult to answer that because they would that you know obviously that would depend on who who the next manager is and what their thoughts were on their own coaching staff so it's kind of very difficult to sort of actually answer that in any kind of substantive way i mean i think they know um they know about graham jones's reputation and they know that he's kind of well liked uh, liked and respected by by players um yes i mean i think the certainly the initial the initial plan was that he would be installed as caretaker to see the club through i mean i still think that is a poss- you know that is still a distinct possibility and there is this suggestion that has been raised elsewhere that they may that they may look for an interim kind of solution because the caliber of manager they want or their their first choice uh, targets aren't available at the moment and so i think that is something that's been certainly well it certainly has been explored and is being explored chris hutton's out of a job at the minute isn't he <clears throat> well there's plenty yeah there's a few people out of a job <laughs> i mean but i i, I sort of I, I I kind of understand the logic because I mean I suppose it depends on how 
on how sort of badly you know, and how serious they look at this situation now. I mean, but the thing is, I I think that if that was the plan, then they should have they should have made this step yeah. last week, yeah. and they should have taken the first decision and then let it all you know let it play out. I mean, I think that it doesn't feel like, to me like that was a football decision, and um, you know, I think it was a, it was a process decision. I mean, process that we're, we're all going to be absolutely fucking sick of the word process pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. but, um I know that I am because I've said it so many times. But it, but it is important. I mean, it is important to have those processes there. I mean, I do think that is. But I don't. I think if you're looking if you're looking at Newcastle last week purely from a footballing situation, Steve Bruce goes on day one after the takeover. Uh, you let the you know you let the lawyers sort out compensation and all the rest of it, and you get on with it. And there would have been lift around the entire club and the training ground. I, you know, I'm not saying that every player you know wants Steve Bruce out. I'm not trying to say that, but it would have given a lift because yeah. it's been such a you know it's been such a cloud hanging over it. And I, I I just don't think that was a pure footballing decision. Fair play. Um, and another one from Canada, Richard F. Uh, from Canada, I don't know what the F stands for. I'm presuming that's the first letter of his surname and not a swear word. Uh, hi, gents. I know a lot of people are wondering why things are moving at such a slow pace, but just how empty were slash are the cabinets at St. James's Park when Ashley left? I did have this mental image in my mind of him taking the carpets and the light bulbs with him, to be honest, but uh, he seems that, like that sort of bloke. Um, it almost seems, seems like the new group must be wondering where the hell do we start, Chris? Well, yes. Well, I spoke to someone not not involved with the consortium, but who was in the the director's box uh, yesterday, the first thing this morning, and they basically said to me, "There's just nothing there." <laughs> it's just basically saying that, 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 that you've got to build from so much, and that and that's obviously that's obviously he's talking about the, the sort of environment he is in there. But if you look at so many areas, I mean, we touched upon it, the the the, the scale of the task ahead, if Newcastle genuinely are going to even think about challenging for the top six, never mind even going beyond that. They're just it, it, the infrastructure isn't there. The basics aren't there. The basics aren't out there on the pitch. But part of the piece that I wrote from the match was that we've talked so much about building, but you can only build from solid foundations. And Newcastle at the yeah. minute, certainly on the pitch, defensively, don't have those solid foundations. And it's the same off the pitch. The training ground needs sorted. The academy needs sorted. The stadium yeah. needs sorted. And and you, you're speaking to to senior people in and around it over the course of the last week, there's been so much where they've said, look, we we knew the scale of ta- the task before we came in but until you actually get in inside it until you actually have the keys (laughs) you can't actually comprehend the full scale of it and so this really is a long-term project if it if Newcastle are going to build back because there is so much to do the Saudi PIF fund's going to have about £7.50 left in it by the time they're finished with us (laughs) (laughs) we're going to skint them completely oh my god yeah um Okay, one more before we before we uh, before we crack on and finish up. Uh, Graham V has asked, "Why do our players seem to be struggling with fitness? Uh, is there any rumours? Uh, is there any evidence? Sorry, to the rumours that they have trained less than other teams?" Um, George, what do we think fitness-wise? We do seem to be blown for tugs after about sixty minutes in games, don't we? Yeah, I think that's you know part of what happens if you don't have the ball um, very much. <laughs> yeah. You run around more, um, and I do think there were sort of. I think there were sort of exceptional circumstances yesterday, but I think this. I, I do think this also takes us back, certainly to the last last week, last couple of weeks, when there's been so much uncertainty around the training, the training ground and around the club. I just don't think it's been conducive to that. I mean, I know that, you know, I know that the players go in and 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 try their best and are professional and things like that. But when they're spending a lot of their time wondering who the who you know who the manager will be at the weekend, I think there is a physical toll from that sort of emotional stuff too but no I mean they don't you know they haven't ever looked like the they haven't ever looked like the fittest team in the world and that comes back to sort of standards and it comes back to infrastructure and things like that I mean I know that a lot of people were talking about sort of days off and you know all of that does also look awkward but you know most other clubs in the Premier League had days off over the international break because there is that sort of concern that you overload players with too much information and too much detail I mean I know that you know our sort of reaction as fans is oh no that we're you know we're shit they should be in there every day you should be working out but sometimes you have to give people a break from that to clear their heads but at the same time that obviously isn't working because of the you know because of what's going on around the club okay then chaps just before we go uh Chris um I would like you to admit to just how scrambled your head was at full time yesterday. Come on, what's all this about? 
This is not. This is not great for somebody. <laughs> this is my job. Um, but uh, so so basically, <laughs> the way that the way that the game the way that it works now at uh, at St James is in this sort of semi post COVID era. <sighs> Just admit it, Chris. <laughs> Semi post COVID era, we have to we did. have to do a Zoom press conference. So we're sat in the stands doing the Zoom press conference, and it's sort of echoey. But then you're going to get kicked out the ground after a certain amount of time. So I went and sat in the St James's Park car park. I want excuse. And I was right. I was right. Reading my report, and within that report, it turns out that <laughs> a I'd forgotten Newcastle scored a second goal, so I put the scoreline down as three one. <laughs> But B, I'd also made up Spurs' third, third goal. So basically, Spurs' third goal in my head was the reason I, I mentioned I mentioned Lucas Moura earlier was that I thought that he'd... I, I, because I remember how bad the defending was, I'd sort of then competed in my mind that he'd scored from that header, and so I'd made that up in my report. And so Alex Kajelski, who was our editor, is also a Spurs fan, and so he just sent me a message later on saying, it, your, your piece is up, but you made up Spurs' third goal. <laughs> Got the, and you got the score wrong. You got the score. But yes, wrong. my mind. You probably filed. You, my mind was frazzled. Oh. Newcastle five, Spurs two by Christine Watt. Read on. This man knows what he's doing. I promise. Oh, Chris, listen, mate. Don't worry about it. If anybody can be excused this week after the week that you guys have had of dropping a couple of little uh, clunkers in your pieces, don't we? Don't you worry about it, mate. That's one of those things. But don't let it happen again, or you're fired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tee Taylor up for that, Chris. I do apologise. I'm sorry. No one likes the grass. Sorry. <laughs> Nobody likes the grass. Oh, that's incredible. George, you playground bully. Oh, I'm sorry. Bless you. I do apologise. Chris, you'll be all right, mate. Just put, you know, just regroup, dust yourself down. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we'll keep All right, I'm, I'm sending George down to Crystal Palace, so uh, he's got that. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah, that's... Oh, well, there we go. Right, that's it for another week. Thank you for your uh, questions on the real-time feed, and thanks, of course, to George and Chris for your time during what is an, an unbelievably busy period for both of you. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Until next week, that's it. Thanks a lot, and goodbye from Pod on the Time. Uh, just one more thing, sir. Yes, I hate to bother you. Hello, we're back, um, but Taylor's gone. So, uh, but one thing that's just happened, uh, and we thought we did need to address uh, just before Ollie, our producer, pressed the button on the podcast, is this vote of Premier League clubs to prevent Newcastle from signing what is described as lucrative sponsorship deals. It felt, feels quite important. So, Chris, can you can you just give us a very quick summary of what's happened, please? Yes, so on Monday, an emergency Premier League meeting was convened and interestingly, Newcastle were represented in that meeting by Lee Charnley, the lasting managing director from the Mike Ashley era, but who has been asked to stay on by the consortium. And basically, during the meeting, the primary thing that was discussed was whether, going forward, sponsorship deals with companies related to the club's owners basically will either be stopped or uh, hindered. And so for the next three weeks to a month they have been temporarily put on hold Newcastle were fervently against this they basically threatened allegedly to take legal action against the other Premier League clubs and but they were voted 18 to 1 uh, against and then one uh, club who, who sorry 18 to 1 in favour and the one club who abstained was Manchester City and so we're in this situation now where Premier League clubs already clearly riled by this takeover are now trying to put legislation in place, albeit temporary legislation for now, to try and limit Newcastle's ability going forward to get sponsorship deals from the new owners. Yes, and so it's probably important just to kind of explain why this is important. I mean, obviously, at the minute, Newcastle have their own sponsorship deals, which the new owners have inherited. Put into context why this is important, certainly in the in the environment we have of financial fair play and so on and so forth. Why why would it be important to the other clubs for Newcastle to be prevented from having these deals? Well, essentially one of the key areas for Newcastle to be able to increase their revenue is in commercial revenue. It basically flatlined throughout the whole of Mike Ashley's 14 years in charge. And at the minute they have a sponsorship deal on the front of the shirt with a betting company from East Asia, which is worth about five or six million pounds a year. 
if they were to get a sponsorship deal like Man City have got with a, a company connected to one of the owners, so for Newcastle's case, that would be out in Saudi Arabia. For example, Saudi Aramco, the oil company which keeps being discussed, and that was significantly lucrative compared to that, so four or five times that value, then Newcastle would have more room to be able to spend on FFP, to improve their squad, to be able to then compete in the higher echelons of the league. They could even look to get a sponsorship deal for St. James's Park or the like with one of those companies as well. And the allegations, at least in the past, from the likes of UEFA and even the Premier League, has been that some of these deals, in their opinion, have been artificially inflated because of the relationships there. And so essentially, this is to try and prevent, in the other clubs' views, Newcastle being able to increase their revenue stream so then they can then use that for FFP and to improve their squads. Of course, the Man City vote is interesting because, of course, that was one of the things that have been sort of alleged about their deals in the past. It is interesting this, isn't it? It is interesting. I mean, it's going to be one of those things um, that we're going to be sort of talking about from now on. And I did have that feeling when this news broke about, you know, Newcastle as a story just spinning out of all, (laughs) not our control as journalists, but sort of our control as people who follow the club. It's like, oh my goodness, it's like, Left, right, you know, it's it's sort of everything now. It's not just the football pitch. It's not Mike Ashley. It's not this self-contained thing. It's just enormous. I mean, one thing that I would say, and this is kind of very Newcastle fan-centric perhaps, is that not too long ago, I was going down to Sports Direct. I had to buy shares in the company using my own money to get in front of Mike Ashley to ask him questions because there was no way you would ever do that around around Newcastle. And I was asking questions about the fact that Sports Direct were paying nothing at that stage for pitchside advertising at St James's Park. And of course, the stadium was briefly named, as we remember, uh, to quote-unquote showcase Mike Ashley's company. And Newcastle got no revenue at all from that. There is an irony here, isn't there, that... It did feel at those at those moments that Newcastle fans were kind of shouting into a void, talking about their own club being starved of, of resources. But of course, other clubs do very, very quickly come to the fore when it's seen as a threat to them. I mean, I do think, I mean, you know, that might be an emotional point to uh, to this story, but it does feel it does feel like a fair one, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, there is that irony there. And actually, the what, what on Sunday were the enduring elements that remained from the Mike Ashley era. You had Steve Bruce on the touchline, you had a crap football team, and you had Sports Direct all the way around the stadium. The, most of the actual uh, signage is still there. And during matches uh, on the TV screen that they have, the big screen, flannels are shown on there. And basically, because Newcastle haven't been art- seemingly artificially inflating their valuation because of that, no other clubs have had an issue with that relationship between uh, a club owner and their club itself. You look at Leicester City, King Power Stadium, that's the name of their own stadium, that's their owner as well. So like, wh- wh- how are they going to apply this can they apply going forward without looking retrospectively at what's happened it does feel like it's just they've taken this opportunity now the newcastle takeover has happened to, to actually try and, in, and impose these rules and i understand to an extent why they are doing them but equally i also see why a lot of newcastle fans feel besieged in this sense just on just on another point though george i just wanted to touch upon the fact that lee charnley represented Newcastle on Monday because that seemed interesting given the fact that uh, obviously he's not part of the new regime itself. From what we understand it, none of the actual members of the consortium were also present on that call. Why do you think? Why do you think that was? Why do you think Lee Charnley was the one who represented Newcastle? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, one thing we do know is that you know the the, the new ownership group were back in London on Monday and they were meeting, they were talking. I mean, you know, they were obviously all together at the game on Sunday. So I'm not trying to over dramatize that, but they do have a lot of decisions to take themselves and a lot of things that they have to work through. On that score, I would just say that um, we have shoehorned this in a little bit and this will definitively, definitively, definitively be the only and last podcast of the week. Or will it?
The Athletic.